Okay, so I think that this topic uh, is something that needs to be addressed, not because of the fact that it's it's a bit of a conspiracy, but or could be considered one, but because it it very well might fall into this whole psyop psychological warfare concept that is that's pretty evidently being pushed onto us more and more through various different ways and what have you. So the first thing I would ask if I was listening or watching this podcast is why does it matter as to whether or not Hitler survived after the war, right? Um, It's a very valid question because you can argue, look, the war was over, so what's the big deal? But I think that a lot of people don't understand the potential implications uh, that could have happened had he survived or, you know, and the ideologies he could have pushed. And that's why we're going to address it and talk about it. And, you know, people might also argue, look, it happened so long ago, so what the fuck's the point? But my answer to that is this. I've seen and I've heard things throughout my entire life that have always touched upon the fact that Hitler may have survived after the war. Now, the reason as to why this may very well be significant is because it's been known that in countries like Argentina and Australia and whatnot, there are little towns and villages of people who are the the sons of some of these escaped former Nazi soldiers and these people hold this massive belief about Nazism and, and fascism and are are keeping this movement alive believe it or not and that's actually a fact I mean you can go look it up and check for yourselves I don't have the names of the the specific towns and whatnot but you can look it up so what really scares me is the idea or possibility that they're there may very well be an existential threat from Hitler's Third Reich party that got us into the Second World War in the first place. And if Hitler survived and didn't actually kill himself, what did he do with his time, you know, overseas after he escaped? Now, it can actually be argued that because, you know, Nazi scientists like Werner von Braun had their records wiped and came to the USA to to help the Americans with their first mission to the moon, it is also possible that the ideologies held by people like Werner von Braun then could have infiltrated institutions like the the CIA, the the NSA or the FBI or what have you. Now, I know some of this might actually sound crazy, but listen, with everything that has been going on and has been exposed in the last handful of years, would you guys put it past yourselves to think that this may in fact be a legitimate story to follow and to address? I mean, look, even if some of what I'm going to talk about may not turn out to be true, what we do know is that we're living in a world these days where things are not what they seem to be in almost every aspect of our lives. And I think it's also important to understand that you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist or labeled one in order to question what you're being told by the mainstream media, and not just now, but even, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. So let's get to it. Let's start uh, breaking this down because there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle here. But before I start, let me just say that I'm going to be covering the the potential Russian-Soviet cover-up of Hitler's body, uh, his alleged escape to Argentina, Hitler's deep connections within the royal family, as well as the mystery that stems all the way to the, the Nazis building secret bunkers in uh, Antarctica. 
So let's start with the uh, the potential Russian cover-up of Hitler's body. So after the war was won and Hitler had supposedly died, the Russian government had said that they were in possession of Hitler's body. And for those who don't know, the Russians were the ones who got his remains because they were the, the first ones there. But then this entire statement was contradicted by Stalin, the prime minister of the, the Soviet Union, who said just a few weeks after the war ended that Hitler was still alive. And he allegedly said this to Harry Hopkins, who was an aide and close confidant of President Roosevelt. Now, with that being said, the records on this are sealed and have not been opened to this day. So, I mean, look, what does that tell you? I'm going to leave that up to you guys to decide. But again, that should say something. Because, I mean, there have been many institutions nowadays who have, you know, unsealed classified records and documents from, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. So why not this? I mean, look, the thing is, if there's nothing to hide, then why are the, why are the transcripts and the records of this conversation still locked up? That's what I'd want to know. And then, here's the, the next part. Within days of this happening, the Russian government official, Marshal Zhukov, who was the one who commanded the Russian forces in the Battle of Berlin, by the way, so he saw all the action up close, said that Hitler's actual body had not been found and that he may have actually escaped and that the statement that the Russian government made just over a month prior may have not been accurate. But then, after this, everyone got silenced. Everyone had to stay quiet. I mean, look, you don't, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe this or to look into this. Like, come on. Now, even though the officials were silenced very shortly after news of this broke, it did not stop it from making the news in the, in the, the Allies' newspapers. And then by July 1945, it was reported in British newspapers that the, the supposed body of Hitler in which was discovered by the Soviets was, and I quote, a very poor body double. And then it was reported in U.S. newspapers that Hitler had gone into hiding somewhere in Europe and that the, um, the Spanish dictator, General Franci uh, Francisco Franco, may have been sheltering him and all that. Now, whether or not any of this is accurate, it's hard to say. But what really makes me think is that if you have to delve, I mean, or, or if you were to delve into the psyche of Hitler and, you know, come to realize that he was actually a very paranoid man, would you really put it past him to, to orchestrate body doubles and backup plans on top of backup plans and, 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 you know, and to ensure that only a select few people knew about it? I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, it, it, as the war went on, it was widely known amongst everyone inside and outside of Hitler's inner circle that he was becoming increasingly paranoid, even from his own people. And so when you add the fact that the transcripts and the official notes regarding the conversations between, you know, uh, Stalin and President Roosevelt's aide have not been released even to this day, it, it certainly makes you think. And it, again, it was, it was also rumored that um, Hitler had a, a plastic operation uh, done to his face in order to uh, change his appearance and that he was hiding out in, in places like uh, South Africa, Australia, Spain, um, but, and there were a few other places, but, you know, like Japan and New York, but those were the main ones. So before moving on to the next topic, the question then becomes, did the Russians help to cover this up or did they merely admit to the truth and then, you know, shortly after conspire with other world leaders and decided that it's best if everybody around the world thinks that Hitler's dead? 
right? And, and that's what it comes down to. And that, that's, that's ultimately what it's about. That, that's, the, that's the ultimate question. So moving on, let's continue on sort of the same branch of this topic and talk about how Hitler may have escaped to Argentina. Now, although there were supposed sightings of him, you know, uh, said to be all over the world, Argentina was by far one of the more plausible uh, sightings, simply because a large amount of low-level and high-level Nazis escaped there and had kids there and families and the, lived the rest of their days out there. Now, this intertwines with my initial point at the beginning of this podcast, which is that since that, since it's been known that former Nazis did indeed em, you know, emigrate to Argentina, and, you know, stayed out there until they died. What values and morals and beliefs did they instill into their children? And I ask this question because of the fact that there have been people that have gone to, you know, these small towns within Argentina and have seen a lot of the children and families and, and have spoken to them of, you know, former Nazi soldiers. And many people have said, the people that have gone there, that, they, that these people that live there resemble that of their parents and loyal Nazi sympathizers and supporters. Now, if we take into consideration that this might be true, in theory, that would mean that Hitler's ideologies and beliefs were not dead and that they still live on to this very day because those people still live and exist there. However, at the same time, it can be argued that these people living in these small Argentinian towns, you know, pose no serious threat to the rest of the world. But, and it might, may very well be true, but I wouldn't put this thought on the back burner. Because the way I see it is that as long as an idea still lives in even one person's mind, it can grow to become more and more powerful as each day passes by. So it's very difficult to tell. Now, it's also been rumored that in order to help with Hitler and Eva Braun's escape, bodyguards and other soldiers protecting uh, Hitler's bunker were suddenly ordered to get away from the exit of his private quarters. And it's been reported on many occasions that certain soldiers monitoring Hitler's telephone, um, operating his private lines, overheard things that they're not supposed to hear, such as Hitler telling his guards to, to, to bring him 200 liters of petrol to the bunker and all that. So it makes you think, why would he burn himself or why would he burn everything and then shoot himself with, along with Eva Braun? I mean, in my mind, for a guy as devious and smart as Hitler, because let's face it, he was smart, um, the guy, it would make way more sense for him to have his bunker burned along with some kind of body double that would then allow him to escape and convince enough people around the world that he was dead, and so he would not be, like, no one would search for him. But then, at the same time, it makes you think that if the case was permanently closed, right, and if he was really dead, why would the FBI and CIA have files on him being spotted all over the world? I'm talking stacks, hundreds of files, you know, before computers were, were kind of regulated in, in establishments and what have you, stacks of, of FBI files and CIA files, you know, placing him all over the world. I mean, that's another question I'd, I'd want to have answered as well, because not only was all of this happening after the war, but on top of this, it's been known that bank records and bank accounts and, and Swiss accounts with laundered money and slush funds were all being moved around under the, the name of one of his supposed uh, dead allies, Martin Bormann. And not only this, but any of the seven people who were part of Hitler's inner circle that were still alive 
who could have potentially corroborated any possibility of Hitler surviving the war, were blocked off by the Russian government, and they were not made available to be questioned by anybody in the West. And these were people that included Hitler's personal pilot, his personal valet. Uh, one of them was the Waffen-SS top general and a few others. So these were not like, you know, uh, fly-by-night people. And not only this, but if I can go back to the topic of, of Argentina for a quick second, what we'll find is that there's an extensive list of people who claim to have seen, met, and even had Hitler in their homes within Argentina in these small towns after the war. And some of these people are still alive today. They're old, but they're alive. And, and some of them may have even, uh, I think they've been interviewed. Um, and all you got to do is look it up. I'm pretty sure, like I'm 95% sure a couple of these women have been interviewed and have been said, uh, have said, yes, you know, we took care of him. He stayed in our house for a little bit and this and that. Um, all you got to do is search it up. I think it's in a, it's more than one documentary. That's for sure. Now, this is kind of the cool part. Let's Let's talk about his connection to the royal family. So if we look at things on a bit of a micro level, what we're going to find is that even before the Second World War came to be, there were certain members of the royal family that were very fond of the Nazi regime and of Hitler and of what he stood for and all that, particularly the Duke of Windsor, who was Prince Edward. Now, Prince Edward stood out from everyone the most here because of the fact that he and his wife, Wallace Simpson, were known to be very big fans of Hitler, uh, his regime, and his politics. Now, this isn't even the most damning part about all this, but what really stood out is that it's been a widely held rumor that Prince Edward was feeding information to Hitler in order to pursue a Nazi-like agenda that would ultimately weaken the royal family and instill a German Nazi party to defeat the British and ultimately win the war. Now, as fucked up as this might seem, it's actually something that really isn't very far-fetched because of the fact that Prince Edward had a lot of bones to pick with members of his own family. For one of them was that he either had to be abdicated from the throne if he wanted to marry Wallace Simpson, or if he decided not to marry her, he could stay on the throne. And the reason why the royal family gave him that choice was because Wallace Simpson was, uh, had been divorced twice before. And so that, that was a big no-no at the time. So the, the royal family said to Prince Edward, look, either you abdicate from the royal family, you leave, and you get to marry her, um, or, you can, um, or you stay, but you can't marry her. Now, here is also one of the more interesting moments of all of this. When Germany attacked France, they did so at just the right point in time and at the perfect geographical location which just so happened to be France's weakest point. And it's actually been documented and widely accepted by many historians that if Germany had attacked anywhere else other than that particular spot, they would have lost the battle with the French. Now, how did Hitler know to attack that very spot? It's certainly possible that he had intel from, you know, it, within the... Um, within the French outfit, right? He had informants. It could have been very possible. That could have tipped him off. But it's actually way more likely, and you'll see why, that Prince Edward, through the help of British intelligence as well as the fact that he became a military general, um, was able to inform Hitler of where to strike and how to strike. And believe it or not, this is actually, for people who don't know, this is more of a widely accepted theory than the one of Hitler having double agents inside the French army. Uh, 
Now, there's a lot more to this than what I just described, like how the, the royal family had relatives in Germany that supported the Nazi party, but I'm not going to get into all that for the sake of, you know, sparing the time and, and just trying to sum up the details. But it's also been asserted that Prince George, the Duke of Kent, was also involved in helping Hitler and had shown support for him in secrecy. Now, probably, and this is where it kind of puts everything together for me, the biggest thing about all of this is that there was a letter, an official letter sent from Hitler's bunker in 1945 that said, and I quote, the Fuhrer attaches importance to the Duke of Coburg, which is Prince Edward, on no account falling into enemy hands. This is an official letter sent from uh, Hitler's bunker in 1945. How much more evidence would you honestly need? I mean, there's so many variables and parts to the war that contributed to the, to the political climate and to the defeat of the Nazis that it's, it's difficult to credit just one person. But what does it show you? When, or what does it tell you when, he's, when an official letter from the bunker which you can look up, by the way, this is on the internet, says this, you know? I mean, what it does show is that how much was going on that we still to this very day probably have no idea what was really happening under the table of all of it, right? Now, before I finish on this subtopic, I do also want to mention that there has been footage shown of a very young Queen Elizabeth supposedly doing the Nazi salute, right? Uh, with her arm when she was a younger girl and... Um, it's been presumed that her uncle, Prince Edward, uh, showed her this. And this, I'm talking about the same Queen Elizabeth II that is a, that's alive today. Now, again, this was, of course, filmed in the mid-30s, uh, like way before, well, not way before, but shortly before the Second World War broke out. But at this time, the Nazi party was gaining momentum and was certainly in full swing. So it would be no surprise that Prince Edward may have been showing this to his niece and was attempting to, you know, kind of enforce his, his political views onto her. Now, I do want to mention that a boatload of other things happened, like a shit ton of things happened, like a, a British royal plane crash that happened to crash three miles away from a Nazi compound which has some people believing that this plane may have been taking off from the compound after meeting with some high-level Nazis and that the you know some high-level British royals were involved in what have you. But I don't want to cover all of it for the simple fact that that's pure speculation and it's very hard for me to, to substantiate that. Um, so, you know, that could have been a number of things, but it, it's certainly something to touch upon because I, I do want to, you know, encourage people to think about that. Now, last but not least, let's look at the, the secret bunker within Antarctica. So it's been said that there are underground cities and bunkers that have been built there uh, for the Nazis to use as a sort of final last resort hideout, and that there are multiple expeditions prior to the war may have proven this, but there are very little documents to support this claim. However, because this is the Generation Z podcast and we support free thinking rather than just fucking looking for words on a piece of paper to back up every single little thing. It's important to understand that this may very well have been possible, but it's also, you know, it, this one, it, it's hard to say. Like, I mean, it's also been rumored that the Nazis may have found or come in contact with uh, UFOs and extraterrestrial life forms while exploring the Arctic. Now, this is entirely pure speculation, and because even to this very day, it's, it's very difficult to get to the Arctic, 
mainly because very few planes ever fly over it. It's hard to kind of corroborate all this. But at the same time, it isn't the first time that there has been speculation that the Nazis have come in contact with, with aliens and ETs, but we'll, we'll save that for another, another time. Now, I, I wish I could elaborate more on this. However, the only official reason that was given later on for the Nazis to go on a secret expedition to Antarctica was due to the fact that Hitler wanted Germany to be able to produce their own fats for food and other things, and he did not want to buy from Norway which mainly provided them their supplies of fats. And so because a lot of these fats that these Germans love and enjoy, even to this day, come from whale oil, the official statement was that Hitler had sent some soldiers and troops out to go search for large volumes of whale oil that they could then use to be able to produce, you know, ample amounts of fats and what have you. Uh, sorry about that little bit of a camera issue on the, uh, on the visual side, but um, I decided to just kind of cut back into this podcast, this episode, and the uh, the video if you're watching on YouTube, just for the simple fact that I was right at the end of my point uh, talking about how the official explanation was that the, the Germans uh, went out there to try to, you know, get their own whale oil to produce their own fats and whatnot. But um, look, at the end of the day, that could have been a cover as well. So it's very hard to tell. Um, but again, anything is, is possible, but everything else that surrounds the Arctic and what have you is a little bit, is, is quite unsubstantiated. But again, you know, especially in this podcast, I'm all for free thinking and, and trying to just, you know, um, I don't want to use the word conjure up, but, you know, come up with ideas and that would make logical sense that, that would seem out there to others, but would not be as far-fetched or out there as certain people would think so so there you have it i mean uh, i hope this this opens your eyes about the the realities regarding what really may have happened during the war and i hope that even if you don't believe in any or all of this of what i just spoke about for that matter then you know it at least encourages you to be able to think for yourselves and understand that what the establishment tells you isn't um isn't always true so, again, thank you very much for watching and uh, catch you guys next time.